Oh God, you are our King. And in worship this morning, you, you have been drawing from our very souls the praise, the total praise that is due you. And I'm exclaiming like David did, I, I was so glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. We've been here. You're here. Don't stop now. We're getting to something absolutely critical for our journey. Make it clear. Ignite it. And may we get it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I mean, what would you do with a 75-pound pearl? You just can't imagine. Can you put that picture up one more time? I just want to imagine that under my bed. I'm just thinking, ugh. By the way, we snoped this. Because some of you are thinking, oh, yeah, this is one of those urban legends. No, we checked it out. Everybody's carried, carried the story, BBC included. They still haven't verified if it's the largest pearl. But you know what? If you had a, if you had a pearl like that, come on, tell me the truth. Wouldn't you, $100 million, wouldn't you be willing to pretty much liquidate everything you own to possess that pearl? $100 million? Jesus told a story once upon a time, didn't he? What was that? Matthew chapter 13, there was a businessman who when he... When he ascertained the veracity of that value. He found that pearl of great price. He liquidated his entire assets. Remember that little parable? Liquidated his entire assets just for the joy and the glory of owning and possessing that pearl of great price. So Christ's object lessons, this classic on, on Jesus' parables. I, I love this line. Put it on the screen for you. The blessings of redeeming love, our Savior compared to a precious pearl. Christ himself is the precious. I inserted that. Christ himself is the precious pearl of great price. How precious is he? Let's find out. Hashtag RXF4NOW. Have you figured that out yet? No, you haven't. Keep hanging on to it. You'll get it. Let's put it on the screen. Those of you who are watching right now, we're going to cut to a study guide in a moment, so I need to put that website up so that you're ready to go as we're ready to go. Uh, the website is www.newperceptions.tv. You go to that website, you're looking for the series, hashtag RXF4, N-O-W. Title of this one, Precious. Hit on study guide. Let's go. You ready? All right. Oh, yeah. Oh, thank you, Ushers. Bless you. Thank you. If you didn't get a study guide, put your hands up because we're plunging it into it and it's just boom, 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 boom. We're not stopping and looking back. This teaching is that critical. I'm just really pumped about the chance that you and I get to share this from the Word of God. You watch. You see. All right? So, Christmas is still a long ways off. But let's pretend like we're at Walmart and let's have Christmas in September. Haven't they put the... the, the don't they already have the decorations up, the Christmas trees? Let's take a page out of Walmart's playbook, and let's go to Christmas story right now. Open your Bible, please, to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 1. I'm in the New International Version. Whatever translation you've brought, it's fine by me. You didn't bring a Bible? Pull the pew Bible out. You got it on your device? That's, God will use your device. It's not a problem. Matthew chapter 1, the Christmas story, we pick it up in verse 20. We got to move, you and me. Let's move. Verse 20. But after he, that would be Joseph, had considered this, that would be divorcing his little teenage pregnant 
fiance. Because back then when you got betrothed, the only way you could break it off was, it's that serious, it was a divorce. So, after, so he now is thinking he's going to divorce her. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. And the angel said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Matthew goes on, and all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said to the prophet Isaiah, verse 23, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means what? which means God with us. Would you take your study guide and write that down? That baby that is going to be born full term, it'll be nine-month pregnancy. When that baby is born, that baby will be the, the eternal God incarnated in human flesh. We'll call him Emmanuel. It means God with us. So what was he like, this God-man who came to earth? What was he really like? I mean, in terms of his manness, in terms of his humanity. The most profound statement about Jesus' humanity is found in the book of Hebrews. And without apology, I'm going to have you read the entire passage. Hebrews chapter 2. Open your Bible towards the end. Hebrews chapter 2. Take a look at this. What kind of a man was he? Okay, I know God is with us, so he's become human. But how human was the one who came? Hebrews chapter 2. And by the way, this is in your study guide, and I wanted this entire passage in the study guide, so I put it in there. So you're going to fill in blanks. You can either read this from your study guide and fill the blanks in as we go. You'll have to kind of take a peek at the screen. Or you can read it and fill it in later because you obviously know what goes in the blanks. Hebrews chapter 2, we're going to pick it up in uh, verse 9. Verse 9. But we do see Jesus, right in the name Jesus. That's what we're going to do. This We're going to spend the whole morning, the few moments you and I have together, we're going to look at Jesus. We're just going to keep looking at Jesus. We do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while. Now, that's code language because from the Old Testament, we know that the human race was created a little lower than the angels. So that language is simply saying he was made human. Okay, so we do see Jesus, who was made human. Keep reading in verse 9. Now, okay, he's back in heaven. Now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. How many of the human race are covered by his coming? How many of the human race? The entire human race. Every man, woman, and child who ever occupied any space on terra firma is covered. All right, now go on to verse 10. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer. I like that in the new NIV. The pioneer of their salvation, perfect through what he suffered. Keep filling them in. Both, both, now verse 11, both the one who makes people holy, that would be God, and those who are made holy, are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. We are family. That's the point. We're family. He's one with us. He's not ashamed. That's my bro. That's my sis. That's my little sis. That's my little brother. Keep going. We're going to drop down to verse 14. Since the children have flesh and blood, that would be you and me, flesh and blood, right? Here we go. We got it. He too shared in their humanity so that by his death, see, he's sharing our humanity, 
By his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. Who would that be? That's the devil. It's going to be mortal, hand-to-hand combat, combat, mind-to-mind, the entire time he's here. He's, he's here for combat. Now, go, keep going. Put the next slide up. And by that death, he's going to free those of us, and that would be all of us, who all our lives have been held in slavery by our fear of death. He came to set us free. Now, verse 16, keep going. For surely it is not angels that Jesus helps, but Abraham's descendants. Pause button. The Greek word for descendants, sperm, sperma. That's the word, sperma. We're talking about real life humanity here, okay? He's in the midst of it. He helps Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made, ooh, he had to be made like them in, what, what, what are the next two words? In what? Every way. In every way. Made like us. How human was he? Well, in every way. In order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God and that he might make atonement for the sins. That's why he's here. He's going to die. He has to become human because God can't die. He has to become human. He's going to pay the eternal penalty for the rebellion of this planet. Himself he will pay for the sins of the earth. Verse 18, one more from chapter 2. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted. We're talking about true blue human. He is tempted. Because he suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. He's down here in the mud with us. Now we're going to throw in verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 15. Keep your pen moving. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. He has all our weaknesses now within him. He, he is... He is uh, He is not unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way. So write that in because he's not only made like us in every way, he's been tempted like every way, in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Ooh, huge. Right in the word sin. He did not. He did not. One last verse, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. You know why? No pain, no gain. No pain, no gain. It had to be this way. It had to be this way. So, Dwight, how come I have to go through this extended passage? I mean, please. Well, I need, I'll tell you why. Because God's strategic plan, this rescue mission of God's to save the human race critically necessitated him becoming one with us rebel sinners so that nobody could come up to him one day and say, yo, Jesus, I understand you came. I understand you have five fingers on each hand, but you do not know what it's like. You don't know what I've been through. You have not felt what I have felt. You do not understand me really, truly. Boom, he says, forget that. Reminds me of the little playlet, little short play. Entitled title of the play, The Long Silence. I want to read this to you. See if you get it. At the end of time, billions of people were scattered on a great plain before God's throne. Most shrank back from the brilliant light before them, but some groups near the front talked heatedly, not with cringing shame, but with belligerence. <laughs> Can God judge us? How could he know about suffering? Snapped a pert young brunette. She ripped open a sleeve and revealed a tattooed number from a Nazi concentration camp. We endured terror and beatings, torture and death. In another group, a black young man lowered his collar. What about this, he demanded, showing an ugly rope burn, lynched for no crime but being black. 
Then another crowd of pregnant schoolgirl with sullen eyes. Why should I suffer, she murmured. It wasn't my fault. Far out across the plain, there were hundreds of such groups. Each had a complaint against God for the evil and suffering he permitted in his word world. How lucky God was to live in heaven where all was sweetness and light, where there was no weeping or fear, no hunger or hatred. I mean, what did God know of all that man had been forced to endure in this world? For God leads a pretty sheltered life, they said. So each of these groups sent forth their leader, chosen because he had suffered the most, a Jew, a black, a person from Hiroshima, a horribly deformed arthritic, an autistic child. In the center of the plane, they consulted with each other. At last, they were quite ready to present their case. It was rather clever. Before God could be qualified to be their judge, He must endure what they endured. Their decision was that God should be sentenced to live on earth as a man. Let him be born a Jew. Let the legitimacy of his birth be doubted. Give him a work so difficult that even his family will think him out of his mind when he tries to do it. Let him be betrayed by his closest friends. Let him face false charges, be tried by a prejudiced jury, convicted by a cowardly judge, and then let him be tortured. And then at the last, let him see what it means to be terribly alone. Then let him die. Let him die so that there can be no doubt that he died. Let there be a great host of witnesses to verify it. As each leader announced his portion of the sentence, loud murmurs of approval went up from the throng of the people assembled. And when the last had finished pronouncing sentence, there was a long silence. No one uttered another word. No one moved. For suddenly all knew that God had already served his sentence. Wow. What did we just read? For we do not have one who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are. God with us. So here's the question. How would you answer this? When God became man, how did he relate to God? Think about it. Did Jesus have some sort of inside track? Some sort of divine privilege? Maybe just just a little teeny divine advantage? You already know the answer to the question. The, the, The question is no. Instead, Jesus had a huge human advantage. And I'm going to give you six texts right now in a row that will prove to you that you have the same huge human advantage as Jesus did. Let's go. Six of them. Count them. When the sixth one's done, I'm sitting down. Number one, it's in your study guide. Number one, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 13. We skipped that verse. But the verses by, by the book of Hebrews is being attributed to Jesus. He says, it's quoting the Psalms, I will put my trust, quoting Isaiah, I will put my trust in him. You know how Jesus lived when he was down here? It's just like that. He put his trust in God. Was that once a week when he went to church? Maybe that was once a day when he had prayers in the morning? Once an hour? Once a minute? Are you kidding? Jesus lived by faith. Now, that's not such a radically new strategy. In fact, 
It's a radically old strategy, which is why in the book of Hebrews, you have chapter 11, which is called the Hall of Faith, Hall of Fame chapter of the Bible. By faith, Enoch. By faith, Noah. By faith, Abraham. By faith, Sarah. By faith, Joseph. By faith, Moses. By faith, Gideon. By faith, all of them. That's how Jesus lived. By faith. By faith. Proof text number two. Here comes number two. Jot it down. And by the way, the next three, the next three are all red letters because we'll hear from Jesus' own lips the huge human reality that he lived through. Okay, so this is number, t- number two. Uh, John chapter 5. You got it there in the study guide. John chapter 5, verse 19. Very truly I tell you, and oh, by the way, because this is the fourth gospel, you already know this, many of you, but this is a double amen. Whenever you see those words in the NIV, very truly, I tell you, that means there's a double amen. Amen, amen. Now, that's a device, a literary device that John uses, like a huge red flag. Yo, reader, slow down, slow down, slow down. Something huge is about to be declared by Jesus. It's only on his lips that we hear the double amen. So here it is now. Something big is coming. Verily, verily, amen, amen, I tell you, the Son can do nothing. How much? How much? Nothing by himself. And then to make sure we didn't miss that, Verse 30 of the same conversation he's having with these ecclesiastical leaders. Look at he puts it there. Puts it this way. By myself, I can do how much? Nothing. Nada. Zero. Nothing. I can do nothing by myself. Now, this is, this is rather amazing because this is coming from the incarnated creator of the universe. Remember the creator of the universe? The creator who spoke. And when he speaks, what he speaks becomes reality. So when he says, let there be light, in less than a half a nanosecond, boom, there is light. Because the Creator's Word, get this, the Creator's Word describes the reality embedded in the Word and creates the reality when the Word is spoken. Let there be light, boom, there's light. Psalm 33, verse 9. Remember that from our first part in this series? Verse 9. For he spoke and it was done. And by the way, in the Hebrew, it goes like this. For he spoke and it was. There's no done. They inserted the done. For he spoke and it was. He commanded and it stood fast. That's the point. That's why I love Isaiah 55, verse 11. These are two. Boy, I tell you, I've latched onto this. And I, I, these, these, ver, these verbs, these verses with their verbs are in my mind con- are, are every day, every day. Why? Because I know that when God speaks a word, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. When God uses the same language, let not. When He speaks that word, the moment He speaks it, you got it. Let your heart be at peace. Peace. Because the word He speaks creates the reality it describes. So Isaiah 55, 11, I love this. So is my word that goes out of my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. When I say, when I say, let not your heart be troubled. It's no trouble. Need to let it be afraid. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. You got it. When he speaks it, 
and you receive it, you got it. So Jesus says, I, by my, isn't that something? The, the great creator who just says the word and the whole universe is shaped, he says, I can do nothing. I can do nothing by myself. Psst, nothing. Something has happened. Something has happened to the almighty God creator come to earth incarnated into our likeness. Something has happened. He has become us. And because he is now us, he can do nothing on his own. Proof text number three. There's six of these. Here comes number three. Also red letters. Then on the eve of his execution, this is John chapter 14, verse 10. Oh, boy. Wait till you see what this one says. This is Jesus speaking. There are only 11 men in the upper room now. One of them has gone. The words I say to you, my friends and disciples, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me. The Father living in me who is doing His work. He lives in me. He's doing it through me. It's His work. What is going on here? Do you mean the healing Jesus did? Do you mean the loving Jesus did? The weeping Jesus did? The dying Jesus did? The resurrecting Jesus did? Do you mean that was all the work of the Father? That's exactly what Jesus means. I, can, I didn't do this. I can't do anything. By myself, I can do nothing. You know who's in me? The Father himself is in me. I am totally dependent on the Father of this universe. Look at Desire of Ages. You can take this one home. You got it in your study guide. So utterly was Christ emptied of self that he made... This, this is astounding. That he made no plans for himself. He accepted God's, God's plans for him. And day by day, the Father unfolded his plans. Now, what gets me is the, are the next four words. And so should we depend upon God. What Je- his modus operandi... It's to become our modus operandi. So should we depend upon God? That our lives may be the simple outworking of His will. Keep reading. As one with us, God with us, a sharer in our needs and weaknesses, weak just like you and me. He was wholly dependent upon God. And in the secret place of prayer, He sought divine strength that He might go forth, brace for duty and trial. Wow. Huge advantage. Dwight, I'm not seeing the huge advantage. Oh, you'll see it. There are only six of these. You'll see it. Here comes number four. Also, by the way, in the upper room, just a few breaths later than chapter 14. Jot this down. John 15, 5. Jesus speaking. I am the vine. You are the what? Come on. You are the what? You are the branches. I'm the vine. What is Jesus saying here? If you remain in me. Your older translations say, if you abide in me as I... If you remain in me and I in you, hit the pause button right there. You know what Jesus is saying? He's saying, hey, listen, 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 listen. As it was, as it is with the Father in me, I can do nothing by myself. I can do nothing by myself. But the Father is in me. He doeth. He he does the works. As it is between the Father and me, it's going to be between you and me. I'm going to be in you, boy, and you're going to be in me. We're going to be just like this. Girl, do you understand me? I'm in you. You're in me. Just like it was me and the Father, it'll be with you. Wow. And now notice some very familiar words. So after he says this in John 15, 5, if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. And now here it comes. For apart from me, how's it go? Tell me. How does it go? For apart from me, you can do nothing. Twice he's already told us, I can do nothing. I can do nothing. It has to be the Father. Now he tells us, guess what? Ditto for you. You can do nothing unless I am in you and you in me. 
the track that he carves across the face of time is the very trail we too are to trot. Same old, same old, same old. Nothing different for me than for you. If I win doing it this way, guess what? You win doing it this way. You'll be fine, just like me and the Father, you and me. Wow. What Jesus is declaring here in John 15, 5 is that just as His life was distinguished by His radical and dependent faith in God, even so our life is to be distinguished by our radical and dependent faith in Christ. But now i got a surprise for you. The best comes last. There's still number five. Now we can know why the Bible's last book describes the describes Earth's final generation in the way that feels a bit grammatically crazy, which has led modern translations to miss the point completely, as I'll show you. Revelation chapter 14, verse 12. Take a look at this. You can look at it in your Bible, but I have it right here on my, in the study guide. If you want to do it right there, you re- some of you will remember these words. Here is the patience of the saints. This is at the end of the three angels' messages. This is the last line of the three angels' messages. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep two, two things. And I've numbered them. The numbers aren't in the Bible. I've numbered them for you. Two things. You keep two things. It's clear from the, from the grammar. They keep two things. Here are those who keep, number one, the commandments of God, and number two, the what? The faith of whom? The faith of Jesus. But modern translations come along and say, that can't be. I mean, how do you keep the faith of Jesus? So you know what they do? Like my NIV, it renders it this way. Here are they who remain faithful to Jesus. The word remain isn't even in the Greek. They insert it to try to make their misinterpretation fit. It doesn't fit. The Greek reads exactly as it is. Here are they who keep, one, the commandments of God, and two, keep the faith of Jesus. They keep Jesus' faith. Do you understand that? That's not the faith of me. That's not the faith of you. That is the faith of Jesus. That's what will get them through the final chapter of earth's history. It's not the faith of you. It's not the faith of me. It's the faith of Jesus that they hang on to, and that is what gets them through. A final generation which must endure what no generation in the history of this planet has ever endured. They will get through, not on their faith, but on His faith. You say, oh, Dwight, this is kind of... I think you're just a little bit uh, pushing the margins here. I mean, please. Oh, really? It's one of Paul's favorite phrases, also mistranslated by modern translations. I'll show you why. I want to show you why. I'll just show it to you. Galatians chapter 2. Okay, this is the last text. I told you. Six. Here's number six. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. There are a lot of you who have been able to sing the song, and you know, that you know how the words go. And so I'm just do it out loud with you. Let's do it. I am crucified with Christ. Come on, you know this. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but... Remember, abide in me and I in you? That's what Paul is saying. That's what's happening. He's in me. He's in me. Christ in you, the hope of glory. He's in me. Let's do it again. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 
It reads exactly as Revelation 14, 12 does. The Greek, identical. He, you, the life I live, I live by the faith of Jesus. It's the faith of Jesus that I live every day. Says the greatest Christian who ever lived. Did you feel that in? I didn't stop to let you fill it in because I need to keep going here. What's going on here? I say, Dwight, something's going on here. You bet. I want to go to my friend Carl Kosart, one of the bright New Testament uh, scholars in our faith community. He teaches at Walla Walla University. Carl Kosart, in his punchy little short commentary on Galatians, I'm quoting him now. There's, there's, There's a new wind blowing even in New Testament scholarship. N.T. Wright, he's... Believes the same. Richard Hayes, Duke University, he believes the same. Cosart puts it simply for us. Words on the screen, you'll take them home. In Greek, the phrase, and by the way, the phrase in modern translations is rendered this way faith in Jesus, faith in Jesus, faith in Jesus. Everybody, those that are thinking deeply in the new scholarship are saying, no, 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 no. And that's what Carl is saying. Read this now. In Greek, the phrase literally means the faith of Jesus or the faithfulness of Jesus. For Paul, Cosart goes on, the primary emphasis is not our faith in Jesus, but Jesus' faithfulness. Thus, the issue is not our works versus our faith. That would almost make our faith meritorious, which it is not. My faith cannot save me. If you make your faith the key, the strategic piece in this jigsaw puzzle, You have now made yourself your Savior. If your faith is what saves you, your faith is your Savior. And the New Testament is saying, no, 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 no. It's His faith. The faith of Jesus. The faithfulness of Jesus. Do you see it? That's what Kosar's saying. Keep reading. Where Where did I stop? Oh, rather. Okay, see the word rather? Rather. Faith is only the conduit by which we take hold of Christ. We are justified or saved not on the basis of our faith, but on the basis of Christ's faithfulness. End quote. Are you getting any of this? Is this getting through? Now, I've had a few weeks to work through this since my study this summer. It may take a little longer. Don't throw your hands up in despair. Just keep thinking. Keep thinking. The Holy Spirit who is here will impress upon you what you need to remember and retain. Here's what's happening. There lies in this a vital nuance that most modern translations now miss. Here's what Paul Paul exclaims. Here's what he's saying. I live by the faith of, not the faith in. I live by the faith of the Son of God. In other words, it is His faith, His faithfulness that I daily live by. Okay, let's put it another way. Try this one. I live by the faith that belongs to Jesus. All right? The very faith he lived out when he was here. That historical faith, I'm living by it. That's what Paul is saying. I am accepted by God on the basis of Jesus' faith, Jesus' faithfulness, because it is his faith, not my faith, that matters in the end. Wow. The good news, ladies and gentlemen, of salvation, the good news of salvation in Christ is not the good news of our faith, but rather the good news of Jesus' faithfulness when He was here. In other words, we are accepted by God, not on the basis of our faith, but it's His faith. It's His faith. It's His faith. The faith of Jesus. 
It'll be a generation at the end of time that keeps the faith of Jesus. A.T. Jones. You probably heard of that famous duo, Wagner and Jones. He's one half of that uh, team. This team, by the way, who exploded this truth into prominence 120 years ago. A.T. Jones in 1895 spoke these words. Put them on the screen, please. When Jesus stood where we are, He said, I will put my trust in Him. That's Hebrews 2, verse 13. And that trust was never disappointed. I will put my trust in Him. And that trust was never disappointed. In response to that trust, the Father dwelt in Jesus and with Jesus and kept Jesus from sinning. And thus the Lord Jesus has brought to every man, woman, and child in this world divine faith. That is the faith of the Lord Jesus. And that is saving faith. Faith is not something that comes from ourselves with which we believe upon Him, but it is that something He believed, the faith He exercised, which He brings to us and which becomes ours and works in us the gift of God. End quote. Here are they who keep the commandments of God and who keep the faith of Jesus. You know, in my generation, the hate Ashbury generation, you heard of hippies? So, so those of us growing up in the 60s and 70s, there was a hot phrase that was making the rounds. It was making the rounds everywhere. And here's the hot phrase. Here's the hot phrase. Keep the faith, baby. Yo, they didn't have fist bumps back then. Keep the faith, baby. There will be people at the end of time who keep the faith, baby. They keep the faith of Jesus. They keep the faith of Jesus. But now hold on to your pew because this gets this this just blow, this is where it blows out of the water, this very teaching. You got to see how incredibly good the good news is. I only wrote one sentence for you to fill in. The rest has all been scripture, but here's the sentence that I need you to fill in right now. You see it's true. Fill it in. If it is the faith and faithfulness of Jesus, and I hope you know, now know that, in fact, that's what Scripture teaches. If it is the faith and faithfulness of Jesus that will save you and me in the end, then that means God ends up providing everything essential for our salvation. Everything essential for our salvation. He has provided it all. Do you understand that? Because we used to think, well, I got the faith, He's got the rest. No! Now we know, jot these down, jot this down, there's, a whole, there's seven of these. Now we know that He offers us the unshakable faith of Jesus. The faith isn't even mine. He gives the faith. <sighs> Keep going. He offers us also the perfect obedience of Jesus. Last Sabbath we looked at the, 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 the lawgiver made flesh, perfectly obeying God's law. The Father says, you may have his perfect obedience. Number three, he offers us the spotless righteousness of Jesus, that robe in which there's not a stain, not a smear, not a single smudge. You have that perfectly white robe. Number four, he offers us the sinless sacrifice of Jesus. I give that to you. Number six, number five, rather, he offers us the intercessory prayers of Jesus. Now, your high priest is interceding for you 24-7. You never have to worry again in your life. Number six, he offers us the eternal life of Jesus. And number seven, he even offers us the eternal home of Jesus. Ladies and gentlemen, 
everything, everything, everything has been given to us in Jesus. In Jesus. Wow. Everything is yours. When I was going over my notes last night, late, I said, oh, God, this is, this, I, I, I just cannot miss this point. And so, pardon me for doing this, but I wrote it. I got a, I got a big uh, marker, and I wrote it at the bottom of my notes so that I would not forget. And I, I want to make sure that you don't forget. So I'm just going to show you my notes. God has provided it all in Jesus. That's the truth. If you get this truth, you have the goodest news in the universe. Amen. Well, do I, I don't, don't, don't I do something? Do I? Come on, come on, come on. Yes, you do. Here's what you do. You put your little trembling hand out and you say, I'll take it. That's the little faith that you will exercise. You have to believe. You just put your little hand out and you say, I'll take it. How much do you want, Dwight? I'll take the whole thing if you don't mind. All of it. I'll take it all. In Jesus, you have it all. No wonder I end with this. Speaking of the pearl of great price, put it on the screen for us, please. All that can, this Christ object lessons, all that can satisfy the needs and longings of the human soul for this world and for the world to come is found in Christ. All, all, all. One more line. Here it is. Our Redeemer is the pearl so precious that in comparison, all things else may be accounted loss. Amen and amen. What do you say? Amen.